Well, it's wonderful. It's great to be back in San Antonio for 16 years. We, my wife and I spent in San Antonio, Texas. We moved to Fort Worth a couple of years ago to be with grandchildren. And Life Point was our home, our home church. And we just love this place. Let me say to you, if you're a guest today, I'm not sure who's who. I know the church has grown so much since we were here last, and I hadn't had the opportunity or privilege to meet some of you. Uh, but if you're a guest here today, this is a good place. I'm just telling you. I grew up in church, so I kind of feel like I know uh, good places, good pasture to feed in and to be taken care of. And this is a good place. I really love Danny and Rachel and all they do in the staff. And so I'm glad you're here today. Again, I said this is new. Some of you, how many of you, if you don't mind, if I, I don't want to say it, you don't know me. How many of you have I never met? I've never met you, okay? Kind of say, oh, my goodness. Well, we're new, new, new to each other today. I hope I have the opportunity to do that uh, before I leave. I grew up in church. My wife and I married when we were just babies. In fact, this December, we will have been married 50 years. So that kind of tells you I'm an old man, right? This is an old, old man. No, really, she was 12 and I was 13 when we got married. But... Uh, we, uh, we have three children, eight grandchildren, and we're just excited. She was at the 1015 service. I wish you could have met her. She is one heck of a woman. Uh, 50 years. You know, 50 years is a long time. I don't know if you, some of you have been married eight years, and you think, oh, my God, is this we are? Uh, what about 50 years? 50 years is a long time. And uh, of all those 50 years, I loved her every day, but there were days and weeks that I didn't even like her at all. You know what I'm talking about, right? You love her, you love him, but you don't like him. There's a difference in love and like. And she didn't like me either. But I tell people, the reason I tell people we've been married 50 years is a couple of reasons. One is because it's a milestone. 50 years to be married in this day and age is really something. And it speaks to her threshold of pain. <laughs> uh, it speaks to her perseverance, her tolerance, her ability to... Put up with me, but we 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 we're loving loving life so much. I said we grew up in church. My dad was a Baptist minister. Uh, he's with the Lord now. He pastored for over 50 years, uh, and so uh, that kind of gives you a little bit of history about where I came from. Old school, uh, old school church. This modern day contemporary. I love it, but but uh, that wasn't the environment that I grew up in. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to cite or say the words of a song. Now, this is going to date me. Some of you won't even relate to what I'm going to tell you. We used to sing out of a book. <laughs> we sang out of a book. And you'd go to church and someone would tell you what page to turn to in the book. And you'd stand up, throw your shoulders back. And you'd sing out of this book these songs. Wow. That's old, isn't it? So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to, I'm going to cite uh, a part of a song. Most of you, I'm convinced, most of you will not even recognize it. But it's kind of the foundation for the message and things I want to talk about to you today. So let me, let me, let me go here. If, if you do recognize, if you, if you were to be one of those who would recognize it, just kind of wave at me real quick. But I don't have much confidence, I have to tell you. I don't have much confidence that you're going to do that. Here we go. Ready? Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. 
while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. I think I maybe saw one hand, and even the hand wasn't real confident. <laughs> wasn't really a lot of assurance that, that David. Now, if that, if that is you, and I did see it, that what you, you now qualify for a senior discount at Denny's. <laughs> that says, that tells you kind of how old you are. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others, God, thou art calling, do not pass me by. The song, the song was written by a lady by the name of Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was born in 1820, coming up on 200 years old, if she were living. Fanny Crosby went blind after six weeks. She had an eye infection as a baby, and uh, then she had surgery, and the surgery went bad, and she lost her eyesight at six weeks old as a baby, and she went through life blind. She wrote over 5,000 songs that we put in these books that I've told you about. She was really a poet, and she would take much of her poetry, and she would put music to it, and it would become a song. You, you won't know that one either, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, or What a Foretaste of Glory Divine. But she wrote the song, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. But what made her write that song? As she grew older in life, she would visit prisons. That was her ministry. She'd go to the prison, and she would sing some of her songs, and then she would minister her testimonies, and she'd minister the Word of God to people. But one day after she had finished ministering, she was packing up to leave, and she heard someone scream, a man holler out in the back of the prison in a cell, and he said these words came out of his mouth. He said, Oh, God... Whatever you do, don't forget me. Don't pass me by. She went back to her room that night, and she began to write. And out of that word from that prison, that prisoner, she penned the words, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others, you're calling. While on others, you're blessing. While on others, you're healing. While on others, you're loving on. Don't, don't pass me by. I want to talk to you just a little while out of my own heart, out of my own life experience. Not only 50 years of marriage, but this December will be 50 years of ministry as well. And being in ministry 50 years doesn't make me smarter. It just means I know a lot of things that don't work. But I do have life experiences just like you. We all have our own set of life experiences, and I have mine and you have yours. But as a young man in ministry, very young, I had my doubts about God's dealing and God's love and concern for me and my life and my family and my future. Look, don't beat yourself up if you ever have doubts. If you doubt, if you're doubting in any area of your life, if you're doubting even in your faith journey or your faith walk, don't, don't beat yourself up. Look, you cannot come to full faith without doubts. You have to wrestle with your doubts in order to believe and have a greater capacity in believing. 
So all I'm saying to you today, if you have doubts, don't, don't turn on yourself and say, what kind of a Christian am I? I guess I'm not a Christian at all because I have these doubts about my faith or my faith walk or my journey or even doubts about God and his love and doubts about God's concern and God's compassion toward me. No, don't beat yourself up about that. Look, doubting, I think, is natural in order to come to faith. And as a young man, I too had my doubts even about God's concern and care for me and my life and my future. In 1973, that's gosh, that's almost 50 years ago too, isn't it? In 1973, my wife and I graduated from Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. I wanted to be a preacher. I had hair, didn't I? You see that little, right in front of that little dip down there, I used to have hair between my eyebrows and that I had a patch of hair right there in the middle, just a little bitty patch of hair. It's, I, it's not there now. I took care of it. Uh, or it took care of itself, one or the other. But before it took care of itself, I took care of it. I told a guy one day, he said, that little patch of hair right in the middle of your head, it looks like a goatee. I've never seen a man with a goatee in the middle of his forehead. And I got so upset, I went home, I just shaved that goatee, and so I was left with that, and now I'm left with this, and it, it's, it's all gone to, in a handbasket. Boy, isn't she great, and she's a looker, isn't she? Wow. Whew. Excuse me just a moment, I'll be right back with you. <laughs> Having all kind of good thoughts right now, remembering that, those days. Anyway, it's still good. We just got out of Bible college. I was excited about ministry. We'd just been trained, educated. Now it's time to go to work. We were called to a church in Longview, Texas, a little Baptist church called Eden Drive Baptist Church. It wasn't a big church. The guy said, I want you to be my associate pastor. I thought, God's just right out of college, and I'm already associate pastor. I'm not an assistant. I'm an associate. He said, now, what you'll do, you'll need to understand we need someone to lead singing. There'll be a worship leader. You'll need to lead the song service. And you'll need to be the youth pastor. We don't have anybody in youth pastor. And by the way, and you'll need to do the lawn. You'll need to do the gardening and the lawn and also clean the building on Friday. Well, this associate pastor didn't look so good after all. But anyway, I was excited to be in ministry, and I was young, and we, we, hit, we, we hit it, man, excited. While we were there, again, now we're young. You have to remember, we're young and excited. First church. This was a very evangelistic church. The pastor would have me go out when I wasn't doing the other stuff and knock doors and ask people if they were to die tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Evangelistic, trying to get people to pray the magic prayer. And look, let me just tell you something, okay? This is just old, this is experience. If you, if you, in your evangelism and you're sharing your faith, if you, if you use this phrase, if you die tonight, do you know where you spend eternity? Stop it. Stop it. We're not going to use hell or death to try to scare people into a relationship with God. Got it? Here's what I do now, though. I will do this. I don't say, if you die tonight, do you know where you spend eternity? Here's what I do. I say, hey. When you wake up tomorrow, how's that? <laughs> when you wake up tomorrow, what kind of a life would you like to have? Well, I'd like to, I have a lot of turmoil in my life right now. I'd like to have peace. I'd like to get rid of worry and anxiety that just stays on me all the time. I'd like to have a joyful, happy relationship 
with my wife and my family. I'd like to know that there's enough provision, and I want my kids to be protected. And they go on and on about all the things they'd like when they wake up tomorrow. And I said, you know what you're looking for? You're looking for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Look, you don't have to die or threaten people with death in order for them to enter into eternal life now and abundant life now. Now, that's my little rabbit trail. But I want to encourage you, when we encourage folks to trust Christ, we encourage them from the standpoint of abundant life in Jesus Christ. I was born, I was born with a birthmark above my right ankle inside right here, this area. Uh, I don't want to gross you out, so I'm not going to show you what's under there. But many of you have seen people with a birthmark maybe on their face or somewhere visible, uh, a, a patch of blood vessels and so forth. This was about the size of a quarter when I was a baby. But as I grew into manhood, this little, this little birthmark became large, enlarged, and it was about the size of my hand, blood vessels. And when, when perspiration or sweat would get into that, it would just set it on fire, and there's no way to medicate it or deal with it. I was knocking doors this summer, and it was hot and perspiration, and I had taken all I could take. And I told my wife, I've got to do something. She said, let's go see the doctor. So we went to Tyler, Texas, and saw Dr. Brailsford, and he looked at it, and he said, you know what? I can take that off and put a skin graft there over that. But he said, you need to know what's going to happen, the procedure. He said, I'll take it off, but what's going to happen is you're going to be in the hospital about three weeks. I'll have to put you in, un, under anesthesia four times while we dress it because of the sensitivity of the skin graft. I'm sounding like an old lady telling you about my aches and pains, don't I, right now? <laughs> Okay, well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and so uh, he said, you'll be probably in the hospital three or four weeks, and then after the surgery, you'll be in a wheelchair for four to six months. Well, my mind is I'm, I'm in the hospital now after this surgery, and I'm thinking, I guess this thing about me being a preacher and having any kind of vocation in ministry is all washed up. And I, I guess whatever God had planned for me, it's all over and he's changed his mind or he's forgotten. These all kind of things are running through my mind. You, you know about those kind of things because you have things run through your mind all the time that are either lies or questions or doubts. We all struggle sometimes with different things. And I was in the hospital after surgery. My wife, two days later, came into the room, and she, I knew something was wrong. She said, the church has let us go. And there will be no more salary after this week. And the little trailer house they had put us in out by the church, they want us to move out within the next two to three weeks. Now, don't be mad at the church. I mean, God's, God's bigger than all that. But I'm telling you, that was the dilemma I found myself in. Here I'm a man. If you're a man's man, you want to provide for your family. You understand the responsibility of taking care of your wife and your kids and being a good provider, being a good husband. And here I was in the hospital for two more weeks now and then four to six months in a wheelchair. How am I going to provide for my family? I'm a young man. I got a three-month-old baby and a three-year-old son. What am I going to do? Where, where, where are we going to live? Where are we going to go? And I'm telling you what, I'm having all kinds of warfare going on in my head at night as I begin to think about our future, not able to do anything about it. And I remember one of the nights I was there, and okay, I'm going to tell you, 
this big old man's man was bawling. I was broken and I was crying because I allowed my mind to dwell on, God, where are you? I thought you said you wanted me to preach the gospel. I thought you said that you had a future for me. I, I thought that, God, what's going on in my life? And all of these questions was bombarding me. Where are you? What's going on? Why is this happening? Why is it happening to me? Why is it happening now? You, some of you relate to that. And I'll never forget this particular night, a sweetheart of a beautiful black nurse walked in and she saw me crying and she walked over and she patted my hand and she said I don't know what you're going through I just know it's going to be okay oh I can tell you I needed to hear that I needed to hear somebody tell me this is going to be okay because it didn't feel like it was going to be okay About another week and a half to go in the hospital before they discharged me, not knowing where we were going to live. My wife got a call from our hometown. Growing up, our next door neighbors, Roy and Gladys Williams, were like parents to me. Second, maybe like, you know, you've had people who are your parents and then other people who, who you feel like that are your parents as well. And this couple was like, like my second set of parents. They told my wife, we heard about Ronnie and we heard about y'all's situation. We'd like for you to move back home and live with us for the next four or five months. They had a little two-bedroom home. I'm talking about small. I'm talking about little bedrooms. I'm talking about one little bath in between these two bedrooms. And there's four adults now and two kids. She's going to have to take care of our children, this lady. And my wife is going to have to get a job and I'm going to have to sit there in a wheelchair wrestling with my mind God what's going on I hadn't dealt with it fully I'm still struggling you know what I'm saying God where are you is it finished what am I going to do when I get out of this wheelchair what kind of what kind of a job can I get where will I work where will we live How, all these things are still bombarding me as I sit in that wheelchair and while I was in that wheelchair with them after a couple of months the phone rang Gladys says there's a man a preacher wants to talk to you so I took the phone. He said, hello. He said, this Ronnie Corzine? I said, yes, it is. He said, this is Pastor Horsenut. I said to myself, Horsenut? <laughs> yeah, and I'm Prince Albert in a can or whatever. You know, I'm out. What is this? What's this Horsenut? No, he said, my name is Horace Nut. <laughs> okay, I got it now. It's not Horsenut. It's Horace Nut. But still, who? is named Nut. <laughs> Who's named Nut that wouldn't change their name to something else? So we had a conversation on the phone. He said, look, I, don't, I heard about you. I didn't know anybody in Kentucky. I didn't know this man for sure. But he said, we heard about you. And I'm wondering if you'd send us a resume. We're looking for an associate pastor. Sent the resume. We got hired. I'm out of the wheelchair and back in ministry. And 50 years later, I stand before you to say, God has forgotten about you. With all of our whys, where, how, when, God, 
God is there all the time. When you don't feel him, when you don't sense him, when you doubt him, when you question him, he's not upset. He's still there. He's not going anywhere just because your mind goes somewhere. In fact, I'm convinced if it's possible, not even sure this is possible, but I'm convinced if in our doubts we think he moves away, in our doubts he just moves closer if that would be possible. What are you here today to tell me? I'm here to tell you today with my experience and the people I've dealt with in 50 years, God is faithful. He knows everything we go through, the good, the bad, the ugly, the pain, the darkness, the loneliness, the discontent, the divorce, the deceit, the betrayal, the bitterness. He knows all of that stuff that we encounter. Some we're able to deal with quicker than others and others we have to carry for a while, it seems like. He knows about all of that and he doesn't leave us nor forsake us and he doesn't forget about us. Mm. Somebody today need to hear this message. There's actually a, there's actually a biblical foundation for what I just told you about God not forgetting. Let me give it to you real quickly, okay? How many of you ever heard the scripture? You've been around, well, you've been around church very much. You've heard this scripture. It's a refrigerator verse. You'll see it on refrigerators or a bumper sticker. I know the thoughts are the plans that I have toward you, says the Lord. Plans not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. We love that verse. Man, it's so comforting. God says, hey, I know what I'm thinking about you. Good thoughts, man. I want to bless you. I want to prosper you. You have a great future. That's what God said. That's what God said to these people. But what's the context of that? We, most of us don't know the context for wherein that was written. So let me quickly give it to you and try to read it to you, okay? The children of Israel left Egyptian bondage. They got into the land, and they were to, they were to plant vineyards. They were to have families. They were to grow. But here's what God told them when they got into the land. God said, I want you to let the land lie, rest every seven years. I don't want you to plant anything. Sabbath are important. Even for people. Remember the Sabbath. Remember every seven days. Remember every seven days you need to rest. You need to, you need to check out. However you do that now. We're not getting into that. God wants us not to burn out. He wants us to rest and enter into his rest, but also take a Sabbath rest. He wanted that for the land because if you're going to be effective and you're going to be productive, you've got to have rest. And if the land is going to produce good fruit, it's got to, have, it's got to rest too. It just can't keep producing and producing and producing and producing. It needs to rest. For 490 years, they disobeyed God and they didn't let the land rest every seven years. So God allows the Babylonians to come into their country, into the city of Jerusalem, and to take all of his children into exile into, down to Babylon for 70 years. 70 years. Wow. How do you come up with 70 years? Why 70 years, God? Well, let's do a little math. 490 years they disobeyed. They were to let the land lie for every seven years. You divide seven into 490 and you get 70 they owed 
the land. They owed the land 70 years of rest. And God said, if you won't live in the land and obey me, then I will take you out of the land and so the land can rest and become productive the way I want you to rest and be productive. So here they are, 70 years. I don't know, that's a long time. Here's what he told them. When you're there in Babylon, 29.5, build houses, settle down. Plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, don't decrease, seek the peace and welfare of the city. Basically, you're going to be there for 70 years. Don't go there and, and think you're going to get out early. Now, let me, go, let, me, let, me, let me touch on this. They're not being punished. Our mentality today, when we disobey God, God comes to punish us. And I'm going to tell you this. This man doesn't believe God punishes us. I don't think God punishes us. Stay with me. I do think God chastises us. And there is a difference. You can punish your child with no view of any change in his or her life. It's just about what you did. It's just about what you did. Punishing them for what they did with no view of them changing. But when you chasten a child, you chasten or correct a child properly is when you have their future in mind and their education and what they need to learn and maybe what we need to stop doing, maybe what we need to correct. You got the difference? Punishment is I'm just mad at you. I'm going to get even with you because of what you did. Chastisement is a father who says, you know what? I want you to grow up and be a good son and a good daughter. And in order to be a good son and a good daughter, you need to learn that you can't do that because if you do that, it's going to, the consequences are going to be that. And so there's training and education involved in chastisement. There's nothing like that in punishment with me whether you agree or not that's my take on that God, God wasn't punishing them okay I, I saw what you did you disobeyed me now I'm going to take you down here and punish God never punishes and it wasn't they, that they were there and removed from his forgetfulness watch this watch this he goes on to say in verse 10, this is what the Lord Almighty says, when 70 years are completed, got it? When 70 years are completed, when it's finished, when the land is rested for 70 years, say when it's completed, I will come to you and I will bring you back to this place for I know the plans that I have toward you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Now, how many of you can see this? If you're away from your homeland and you're in captivity for 70 years, you think any time in those 70 years they ever thought, God, I wonder if you forgot us. Huh? Think they could have forgot? You think they could have ever thought, Lord, where are you? He said, I'll be back in 70 years. I'll take you back home, but you got to wait 70 years. But I'm telling you what, in, those, in that time frame, and, and we do that after two weeks of God not showing up to rescue us. 70 years, you can imagine. Where are you, God? What are you doing? Are you, have you forgotten your gracious promise to us? And God said, no, I hadn't. 
history and the Bible, in 70 years, God came. They were released from Babylonian captivity, and they were free to go back to their homeland, just as God had promised. God keeps his promises. God does not punish. God does not forget. Oh, whoa. But what about, but, but I thought you said God, I thought I read somewhere where God forgets our sins. No, 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 wait a minute. God is God. He can't forget anything. What kind of a God you could be to forget something? At least I entertain, the, uh, entertain this thought. The scripture never said God forgets. The scripture says, God says, I will remember no more. Which means that God made a choice. God chooses. He can't forget it, but I can make a choice not to remember it anymore. So you, somebody need to take that home. Oh, God knows what I've done in the past. And he's not mad. He's not holding it against me. But if I've repented, God says, you know what? Let's let that go. I don't remember that. I won't remember that anymore. I'll never bring it up again. I'll never use it against you again. None of this, I told you so. I told you so, son. I told you so, daughter. I told you so. No, not with God. God doesn't do that kind of stuff. He says, I choose not to remember it anymore. You repent. You make it right. You keep moving. And I won't ever remember to bring it up again. Well, what an awesome God we serve. And here today, maybe you're here and you thought, God, where are you? What's going on in our finances? What's going on with our job? What's going on with our kids? What's going on with our grandkids? God, what's going on? Where are you? What are you gonna, when are you going to do something? You've forgotten about me, God. You passed me over. You passed me by. God said, no, I haven't. Everything in due season. If I kept my promise after 70 years, trust me, whatever it is you're going through, I haven't forgotten you, and I will bring good things to pass in your life. All you can see is the bad right now, but God says, I see the future. I see the good. I know the thoughts I think about you. All oh, they're good thoughts. I know the future. It's a great future. You can't see that now because you're, you're too encumbered with all of the, 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 the circumstances, unfortunate situations. You, you, you see, God is a master weaver. God, in, in the blending and the weaving of a tapestry, if you know any little bit about that, in the weaving of a tapestry, he said, I know the thoughts. I, can, I know what I'm thinking. I can see it from a different perspective. That's what he said. I know the thoughts I have about you, your future. I know about your future. I'm a master weaver. But how many of you know that on the, the underside of that tapestry is ugly? Different color threads different lengths it's just not pretty underneath that when a tapestry is being woven it's not pretty down here looking up but if you're looking here and not here then you see beauty and you see brilliance and you see a finished product and some of you are spending too much time looking at your life like this too much time looking from this angle. And God says, I want you to come up hither. I want you to sit with me in heavenly places spiritually. I want you to look at the finished product. I have a plan for you. I know you don't see that now. I know you can't feel that now. I know you don't understand that now. But God says, I'm working on you. You're a work in progress. And you're beautiful. I already see you finished. But, but you can't see that yet. 
But know this, my child, I'm working on you. It is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's working in every life in this room right now. Every little boy, every little girl, God's got in, he's working. He's so big. I, I, I can't, my mind sometimes won't even let me comprehend that. But, 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 but I'm telling you, God is at work and he hasn't forgotten anybody. Seven billion children that belong to God. No, not all born again yet, but I'm telling you what, they're his children by creation created in his likeness, created in his image, needing to be recreated in his likeness and image, but created in his likeness and image. And God, with seven billion people, says, I won't forget you. I got a plan for your future. Hmm. <laughs> Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, it says that God... It's a word picture. Stay with me. It's a word picture only so we can kind of picture where we are with God. He said, I have etched you on the palms of my hand. That's what God said. Got it? Word picture. But to let us know, the hand is a hand of, that reaches out in love and compassion. It's a hand of love. It's a hand of mercy. It's a hand of power. It's a hand of authority. And God says, look, on my hands, these hands of love, these hands of mercy, these hands of grace, these hands of compassion, these hands that are always with me, word picture, these hands that are always with me are ever before me. I've etched you on the palms of my hand. God's okay with tattoos then, I guess, right? <laughs> I've tattooed you, your name. I've inscribed your name on the palm of my hand. Wherever I go, God says... And I feel the whole earth. You're with me. Hmm. Big God. Big God. I'm telling you, he hadn't forgotten. He knows exactly where you are. And he's not out to get you. And he's not out to punish you. And he's not mad at you. He's not withholding a memory of you to punish you. It's impossible. You're ever before me. I told you my story of doubt, the big one in the early days. My dad, I told you, was a Baptist minister too for 50 years. Let me tell you his story. He's in heaven now. I close. When I was 18 years old, before I married my wife, right before I married my wife, our little town or city was having a citywide revival or crusade. And sometimes they have them in coliseums now. We had them in tents. They set up a tent. And we had a, tent, a citywide tent crusade. I didn't, I went to that meeting, but I didn't know my dad was going to be there. The place was filled. I was over here and dad was somewhere else, but I, I didn't know he was there. At the end of the service, these are the old days now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the old school days, church days. At the end of the preaching, the preacher would give an invitation or what they call an altar call. He would invite people to come forward and give their life to Jesus Christ or make a commitment. And that night, 18 years old, I left my seat 
And I came to the front and took the preacher of the hand. He said, what have you come for? And I said, I want to commit, I want to commit my life to be a preacher of the gospel. That's before the operation. That's before Bible college. I want to commit my life to be a preacher of the gospel. God bless you. The invitation was closed, and now we're fixing to go home and dismiss in prayer. But this was old school, what we did. The preacher would have everybody who came to make a commitment stand here in the front, and then he would turn us around and make us face the people. Oh, my. Now, not only have I come making a commitment, but I'm a little bit not embarrassed about my decision, but I've got to look at everybody now. And y'all think this is easy standing up here looking at this, right? Come up here and stand with me. And here I stood with other people right here. And he got to me and he was telling people my commitment. He says, it's Ronnie Corzine. Ronnie Corzine comes tonight and he, he wants to commit his life to be a preacher of the gospel. Everybody was excited. And I lifted up my head. And when I did, I looked back down the center aisle. And about the third row in on the aisle, I saw my daddy and he had a handkerchief. And he was wiping his eyes. I didn't know he was there. It's the first time I saw him that night. He didn't know I was there. Something else they did back in those days. The preacher down here said, does anybody want to say anything before we leave? We're not saying that today, trust me. That won't be part of this service. The preacher said, anybody want to say anything? And my daddy said, I have something I want to say. Brother Corzine, come on down to the front. My dad came down and he put his arm around me. He'd been crying. And he said, I'm going to tell you all something that he's never heard before. He's never heard what I'm going to tell you right now. He said, 18 years ago in Wilson and Jones Hospital in Sherman, Texas, this boy was born, and in his mother's arms, I laid hands on him, and I said, in agreement with my wife, God, of all my seven children, would you make this one a preacher? I'd never heard that before. He said, I want to tell you all something. In his early teen years, I thought God had forgotten. I must have been a stinker. I thought God had forgotten when I watched the way he was living as a young teenager. But he said, let me tell you tonight, everyone, if you're praying for your children... If you're praying for your grandchildren, if you're praying for your marriage, if you're praying about a job, if you're praying about anything and you're committing it to God, don't give up and don't quit because God hears and God answers prayer and God hasn't forgotten. You are what you're going through and in due season you'll reap if you faint not. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he knows exactly where you are. He knows what you see. He knows what you say. He knows where you go. And he's not angry and he's not mad. And I love to tell people God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not holding men's sins against them. God doesn't hold you sin against anyone. He's dealt with sin in Jesus. And all he wants us to do is come to him and submit our lives. Don't beat yourself up about doubt, but let me tell you, be encouraged today because God knows where you are. And he said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, and I'll never forget you. Would you bow your head just a moment? We might revert just a little bit to old times. If something 
that has been said today, the Spirit of God maybe touched your heart, maybe you've had your doubts or you're struggling in a situation right now, it's okay. I'm telling you, it's okay. Would you be willing where you're seated just to stand in front of your chair? I want to, I want my closing prayer to be for you. If I knew your name, I wouldn't even call it. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want my closing prayer to be for those who may be struggling a little bit with, where are you, God? What's going on? Why is this happening? God, when are you going to show up? Is there anybody like that I can pray for in this closing prayer? If you'll just stand to your feet right in front of your chair. Where are you, God? Do you not know what I'm going through? Don't pass me by. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every man and every woman standing at this very moment, responding to your word of encouragement. You know their situation even better than they do. You know the outcome, and they don't even know the outcome. But they're standing because they say, Lord, I need you not to pass me by. I know you don't forget, but I want to be remembered. I want to be remembered where I am and I want you to walk with me and I want you to talk with me and I want you to I want you to assure me that everything's going to be okay. And Father, I thank you right now that your confidence and your assurance can fill the hearts of people. Every doubt can be cleared up for the moment as they continue to walk with you. Minister peace. Let anxiety and let stress and let worry drop to the floor and melt away as they leave this room today and let them leave with confidence and assurance and peace that you're for them and not against them, that you love them and you're not angry and mad at them, that you have a future for them, a good, you have good plans for their life, that they have worth and value and significance in your kingdom. I bless these individuals. I thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God bless you.